Hello and welcome to episode 373 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Ben Olson, that's Nathan Fox. Together we're the co-founders of LSATdemon.com and the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. If you want to be LSAT famous and get on an upcoming show, email help at thinkinglsat.com with your questions, pearls versus turds, admissions news. We love to hear it and we will try to read it on the show. This will air on Monday, October 24th, 2022. The... Next test is November. That's the November test on November 11th and 12th. I've already passed the registration deadline for that, but uh, your score will be coming out at the end of November. Then we have the January test, and the registration deadline for that is not until December 1st. So you have some time to decide whether you should be signing up for that or not. Uh, You can find all these dates at lsat.link forward slash dates. We also have Nathan's free shit, as always, coming up. Friday, November 4th, I'm going to be doing a class uh, on last minute LSAT tips. That's uh, right before the November LSAT. So come join me um, where I can talk about uh, what you should be thinking in the last couple days before your test. Cool. You can sign up for that at LSAT.link forward slash Nathan. Any highlights from the show you want to talk about? The main thing was these this scholarship email telling us how (laughs) at least one school is trying to close a deal with you and get a scholarship number that makes sense given yeah. your other offers. It also reaffirms that we need to apply broadly, right? It's a peek behind the curtain at what one school is doing when asked for more scholarship money. Yep. And they're not saying we don't negotiate scholarships. They're saying, here's exactly how we negotiate scholarships. And uh, they're kind of taking the driver's seat by asking for a whole bunch of information. And uh, it's really kind of cool to see how how those negotiations go down yeah so let's jump into this email from matt matt n says i wanted to reach out to give y'all some exciting news after applying six days ago i got a call from baylor offering me acceptance and a full ride into their program i'm beyond thankful that i ran into your channel on youtube i didn't know that attending law school for free was possible i used demon live and listened to the podcast every day and i was able to get a high enough lsat to get a full scholarship. I owe that to you guys. Thanks for everything you do and keep pouring out your Kool-Aid. On a different note, I also have some information about your scholarship estimator. According to the 509 reports, Baylor gives out full rides to about 5% of their students. However, the admissions dean told me that because of the way they report to the ABA, the numbers are misleading. We really appreciate that, Matt, by the way, because we're always trying to get as close as we can to the 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 reality um behind the scholarship game with the estimator so if we can make anything better we always will uh anyway so here's why it is sometimes misleading according to the admissions dean at baylor students at baylor sometimes take 41 hours and when they do if they have a full ride they are reported as half to full scholarship If a student takes 42 hours a year, then they are reported as having a full or more than full scholarship. I thought it was interesting about how these ABA disclosures work. Maybe other schools' numbers are misleading, but who knows? Thanks again, guys. Matt. Wait, I'm mildly confused because... Me too. Isn't there uh, three categories? There's not three categories, there's more than three, but I thought there was... Full tuition was a category by itself, and then more than full was another category. Yes. Yeah. Also, putting that aside, 
I, I mean, I totally agree. And even if that weren't a problem. Yeah. I'm still confused because are the 41 hours and the 42 hours like specific or is that just an example of what the what the message maybe was is, well, it just depends because sometimes the students take credits like that are more than or less than and then that adjusts the bracket that they fall into. If that's what that is, then, OK, I kind of get that. But if it's exactly 41 hours and 42 hours, that seems strange. And then I'm trying to understand why. 41 hours would be a full ride, but 42 hours would be more than full ride. Well, that would actually make sense, but it's 41. Well, is half to full. I guess it could be full. Um, yeah. And then 42 is full or more than full. That makes me think that 42 hours or maybe 41 hours is the full tuition amount. They're doing something weird here where they're taking the hours and they're multiplying it by the cost per hour <laughs> and they're getting they're some doing. exact number. Right. And that number happens to be right in between the actual like below <laughs> full and, and full. I don't know what they're doing. They could be charging by credit hour and then. It, yeah, well, um, point is, congratulations, Matt. I'm glad you drank the Kool-Aid and got the full scholarship. Uh, you don't owe us anything except for, you know, a lifetime of referrals. And uh, we'll be happy with that. I mean, one one silver lining here is that we already don't display more than full tuition, right, on the scholarship estimator. And if full tuition right. is only a few percentage points, then we don't say that is full tuition either because we realize there are these odd exceptions. Uh, but we need to get more data. So if you know anything, let us know. Yeah, we're always we're always tweaking it because um, the scholarship game is always changing. All right. We have um, this is an email that was forwarded, forwarded to us by anonymous. And the first two lines are anonymous's email. OK, if it weren't for the podcast, I would have accepted redacted redacted's offer as being what it is. If I even thought to ask for more, I'd believe the shit they're saying in response. OK, so the emphasis is there on if because they're saying they might not even have asked but yeah. if they had asked they would have believed this email which is a response from the school when asked for more money okay got it so here the school says we are happy to work with you to ensure that you understand your options for financing your legal education in addition to merit aid redacted also offers institutional need-based aid and we encourage students to apply for outside scholarships for which they may be eligible. Okay. okay. So, I mean, right there already, what are they saying? <laughs> oh, we have some need-based aid. Yep. Which, and who knows what that's going to turn out to be. They have, yeah. I mean, who knows what the, the, the truth is that most law schools don't do much need-based need -based aid. I mean, if we're yeah. not talking about Harvard, Stanford, Yale. Yeah. And then the second and then the, and then it's just another deflection, right? We encourage students to apply for outside scholarships for which they may be eligible, which is just kind of like a fantasy, right? It's a fantasy because these scholarships are small numbers compared to the actual cost of tuition and they may last a semester. They may last a year. You might have to write essays in order to apply for them. You know, it's the young farmers of uh, Idaho 
essay contest or you have to, I don't whatever. And then it's, yeah, it's a $750 scholarship or something. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of work for a small amount of money. Whereas getting discounts from the school is a little bit of work for a lot of money. <laughs> or no work at all because they give scholarship offers on admission in many cases and at many schools. Well, by work, I mean maybe apply broadly, get the best LSAT score you can get. Sure. Right? That's that, the kind of work that you should invest in because it pays huge dividends, not that's these work. scholarships. Yes, that is valuable work. But okay, so we're, we're seeing though the admissions office just... You know, it's like they're uh, releasing um, flack from the back of their bomber. Absolutely. Yeah, to, it's, 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 it's real, but it's just kind of small and it's a distraction and it, get, it could get you to to go <laughs> not stay focused on the real uh, target. Yeah, absolutely. Although we typically provide our strongest offer up front, we are willing to review our merit scholarship offer as compared to offers you receive from pure law schools. Okay. okay. So... so what are they saying? One sentence yeah. at a time, right? I mean, we want to understand what they're saying. <laughs> they're basically saying we are not going to budge until you have an offer that's better from somewhere else, which makes perfect sense. They're saying, hey, we're not going to give you more money unless we have to to keep you. And they're inviting you to show them evidence. Yep. That they will have to give you more money in order to keep you. It's a very straightforward business transaction. Yep. We pretend kind of, right? It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's higher this education. Little, it's, it's this little dance of, you know, first we have to decide if we're going to admit you at all. And then it's going to be, you know, it's, it's, instead of just like, hey, look, here's my numbers. What price are you going to charge me? Let's talk about yeah. the price. Yeah, that's what you're doing. You're talking about the price, but you're doing it in a like ritualized way. Well, and, and to the extent you can kind of drag this out, you're going to get some people who just say, OK, great. I feel happy with what you've told me. I feel good about it. Yep. So I'm saying yes to your price. The school continues because of the level of individualized review that goes into the scholarship adjustment assessment. <laughs> such requests should be made only if redacted is a top choice for you. The high level of individualized review to look at the number, <laughs> you know. But anyway, what what are they really saying there? They want to protect their yield. They don't want to waste time with you if you're going to go somewhere else after all. And um, they also want to make sure you're really interested so that if they they keep offering you money, you come. Yeah, they don't want to waste time. They want to do this. If they're going to do it, they want to. They want to. But the, and they also want to know how bad you want to go there. Yep. Yeah, it's part of the negotiation, right? If you're like, yeah, you're my top choice. Uh, they may not believe you, but hey, that might just mean you're less you're you're more willing to pay a higher price. You could also overcommit there on that step. You could kind of shoot yourself in the foot in the negotiation fairly easily. Yeah. I'm not going anywhere else. I'm committed to you. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. No matter what we, no matter what scholarship is, I'm coming here. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's a pretty good way to end the negotiation. And they, if they're savvy, they might give you another thousand off, right? They're like, yeah, okay. make you feel good. Sign right yeah. now. Yeah. Uh huh. In other words, if your request is granted, we expect you to matriculate. Ooh. Wow. It's a uh, okay. They're they're saying like, tell us your your final. Well, if your request is granted, I mean, what are you asking? I guess you're just asking, hey, look at because because they told you what evidence they want, right? They want to see offers from other schools. Yep. So, actually, they're not. They're also not telling you. 
Oh, yeah. No, they are. Because then they're going to get to this. Uh, well, maybe let's read the rest of here's what they're actually asking for. Okay. Should you wish to proceed, use the attached template to submit net cost comparisons and provide merit scholarship offer letters from each school included on your spreadsheet. As well, please share any additional information that you would like us to consider. Kindly send all the requested information in one email with the completed template and other offers as attachments. Wow, they just want you to open your books. They're like, give us all the information. Well, they must see themselves in a somewhat strong position to demand this information. Well, they're, they are at a... The, the power in the relationship in the vast majority of cases is stacked entirely in their in their favor. Especially, yeah, you come, you, you pit someone who has never been in the boxing ring before <laughs> against someone who goes in there several times a day. They're they're an institution. <laughs> they they do these negotiations constantly. This yeah. could just be a typical step in their negotiation. And you don't have to come back and share all this information with them. Um, that said, I don't see it as like necessarily so much of a power move. To me, it seems like they want to get a deal done and they're just like, hey, let's not fuck around. What other offers do you have? Let's see them. We're going to give you an offer. Take it or leave it kind of a thing. Like we expect you to matriculate if we do this. Yeah. So they're like down to business. Like we 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 want to make a deal with you. I think, I mean, their process, right? They're asking for kind of a lot and they have opened the doors for you to do a lot of shit, including, I mean, what did it say? Well, I guess I'd have to see the template. I would love, Anonymous, can you send us the template? Because I want to see the actual template. Because it says, use the attached template to submit net cost comparisons. So they're asking you to look at your cost of living, I guess. Well, yeah, which just invites all sorts of shenanigans. Yeah. Because you hmm. could, you know, you, you could, uh, well, I don't know. You're just, the more numbers they're allowing you to report, you the kind of the more you could massage it sort of in your favor, right? Or they could turn around and massage it in their favor, right? Like, oh, yeah, but here it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Although you get to pick the best of those offers, right? So if you're, I, I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Putting that aside, um, I kind of like how this law school is doing business, whatever school that is. You know, they're just like, let's they're not, they don't want to mess around. They need to fill the seats. Yep, And they are willing to give you more money. They're just here's how we're going to do this. Yep. So in, in a way, it's they're, they're like they're kind of not doing the dance so much. They're just kind of like saying, all right, let's let's go. Yeah, uh, I love next all those. Oh, sorry. Sorry to step on you immediately, Ben. Email help at thinkinglset.com if you have um, more stuff like that. We love stuff like that. That's amazing. Like we need to see the how the inner workings of the law school of how these negotiations are going. Yeah, 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 for sure. So we have another here email here from anonymous. Hi Ben and Nathan, I'm a huge demon fan and would love your advice. I'm a rising junior at Columbia, hoping to apply to Harvard's junior deferral program at the end of this academic year. This program lets you apply as a junior and if accepted, defer your offer for two years to work. I have a 4.0 GPA and a cold diagnostic of 161. I'm working hard with the demon and think that I have a good shot of getting accepted to some top law schools if I achieve a high LSAT score. Parentheses, I am aiming, aiming for 175 plus, which is totally reasonable given a 161 uh, diagnostic. That's yep. 
high 170s, I think, would be the only reasonable goal. I am in no way saying I would be accepted, but if I were to apply to Harvard's JDP and get accepted, I would definitely accept the offer. Okay. So that's a Harvard number one choice and would immediately accept if I got in. Okay. This offer is binding meaning I couldn't even apply to Yale or Stanford Law School as a senior or beyond. Those schools rank higher, and I think I'd have a good chance of getting into, given my GPA and potential LSAT score. (laughs) Which, yes, absolutely. I mean, come on, this is the best possible applicant. Yeah. You're a 4.0 from Columbia with very, uh, not not, going to say certainly, but like if anybody's going to score high 170s, you should be able to score high 170s. Your diagnostic is amazing. There's no reason why you can't. So, yeah, I think I mean, who, who gets into Yale or Stanford if it's not that person? Yeah. So, yes, I think we should assume that you probably would get into those schools. I mean, it, you need to be thinking about what school you really want to go to. I, I'd also consider, I mean, I think that given your likelihood of scoring high, <laughs> You can get into Harvard later on your own timeline and you can get into these other schools. And for example, if you get a 178, you're going, you could go to U Chicago for free or Columbia for free or Penn for free. So I get it that you're the kind of person who can go to Yale, Stanford, Harvard, most likely, but do you even want to when you could go to these other places for free? Yeah. You could... You could be living in Palo Alto instead of living in Cambridge. Mm-hmm. You know, two years from now, like right now, you might not like that. But two years from now, you might love that idea yeah. for any number of reasons. Yeah. Like um, having geographical flexibility is like so amazing. You can preserve that that total flexibility of your life without with by not doing this binding thing. Yeah, I, I don't like it. Let's I'll read the rest of this. Um, Sure. Yeah. Do you think it would be worth having a guaranteed offer at Harvard Law School, but not giving myself the chance to even apply to Yale or Stanford, et cetera? And yeah, I think Ben and I are both pretty clear. No on that. Also, would you change your advice about waiting to apply until you have the highest possible LSAT in light of the junior deferral program? For example, if I don't have a 175 plus, should I still apply as a junior or wait for a good LSAT. I doubt other juniors applying would have had much more time than me to study for the LSAT. So we're all kind of in the same boat. I, I mean, I think it's just you're you need to everybody needs the best LSAT they can before they apply. It's just so silly not to not to work toward very best LSAT, then do your applications. So this idea that you're going to like rush into it with not your best LSAT just because the other juniors who are doing the same thing also haven't had as much time to prep. That, that's what they're saying here, right? Yeah. I think you just need to focus on the LSAT. Finally, does your don't pay for law school mantra apply to schools like Harvard and Yale that only give need based scholarships? What are your thoughts about paying for these schools? Some people pay for them and should pay for them because they're amazing opportunities. But you have to ask yourself how important that is to you. People can go to Chicago for free. Or they can go to Harvard, and I think both decisions are great decisions. And that's a decision you're going to have to make once you've been accepted and once you know the offers that are in front of you. Yeah, we have 
we have current and former LSAT demon teachers who are at both Harvard and at Yale. And I didn't think that they were making a bad decision necessarily when they, I, I knew that they were making the right decision for them. Like they're smart people. I respect their decisions. And they made yeah, that. And choice. if they hadn't gone to Harvard or Yale, you wouldn't have said, oh, well, you're giving up this opportunity. Shame on you. It would be like, yeah, great. Now you're going to be in the top of your class at a very, very highly ranked school going for free. It's a win win when yeah. we're talking about that decision. Yep. Anonymous continues I'm excited to hear your thoughts and thank you for providing this incredible, bullshit free LSAT resource. Thanks. Uh, thanks for writing in. I, I yeah. just don't think the junior deferral program uh, just does not sound appealing to me. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a win for Harvard. They're picking up people well before they even know what their other op options are. <laughs> it's probably why yeah. they're juniors, right? They they haven't taken the LSAT or if they have, they just started their they have no clue what their potential is. Yeah. You always got to keep a, a line outside the club to make it look like the club is popular. You always keep it, keep a velvet rope and the line outside the door. And that's mm -hmm. kind of what this is, right? They're just like making it look super prestigious. Like here's this, you know, oh, there's other schools don't even have this or you're you're going to be so fortunate to get this junior deferral program admission. And there's but a deadline. Here's what right? you're going to give up. Yeah, oh yeah, deadline and it's it's competitive. Of course it's competitive. They're not going to admit people through that that they don't want at Harvard. Yeah. You know? But for someone like you, you've got amazing grades and you're going to get a killer LSAT, then they're going to be begging for you even more. And you're going to have <laughs> 10 other offers. Great. We have another here email here from Abhi. Hi, Ben and Nathan. Thanks for the service you provide via the demon. Love the message. And I consider myself a true demon believer. The test makes perfect sense. Exclamation point. I started as a live member back in March of this year and transitioned to premium when I felt I had a decent grasp of the basics, worlds, etc. Okay, so just to clarify, live is our highest tier program. It has live classes. Premium is just all of that except no live classes. My cold diagnostic in March was a 159. Wow, another incredible cold diagnostic. I got cocky and took the June official test, even though my practice test scores were varying from the low 160s to the low 170s. In hindsight, I know I should have waited until they were solidly in the 170s consistently. I was humbled by a 163 on the June exam and regret wasting an official take. I studied until I was solidly in the 170s on practice tests. I took the September test and now have a 168 on record. I know I can get into the 170s, so I'm signed up for November. Love it. Love everything about it so far. You don't need yep. to like self-flagellate for, um, you know, wasting an official take. That's that's fine. You don't you don't have to have regret about that. Yeah, you um, made a mistake and you learn from it quickly. You know, we got people yeah. who take the test and they take it again and they take it again. They got two shots left and it's like, oh, dear. Okay, then they start prepping. Do that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> OK, anyway, should I go ahead and just sign up for January 2? I'm considering waste, waiting to see my November result before deciding. I can hear you both in my head. I know the answer is yes. If I'm ready for November, I'm ready for January. However, I hesitate because January would be my fourth <laughs> official test out of my five tries. Does the rule of thumb change when students are getting down to their last couple takes? No, it doesn't matter. If, you, if for some reason before January, you only have two takes left, you have your fourth and fifth take, and you don't think you're ready, then just withdraw. So you're not going to lose that opportunity if for some reason you don't think you should take it. 
But if you think you should, why not? You're in the game. You're trained. You're ready. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, if I can do a, a baseball analogy. Sure. Um, in baseball, when you get two strikes on you, you can sometimes like change your approach at the plate. Or at mm -hmm. least that's what old school baseball was. You know, well, you don't want to strike out. So with two strikes, you shorten up your swing, you know, maybe choke up on the bat, like really just try to go for contact yeah. kind of a thing. Uh, yep. The LSAT, you're not doing that. The LSAT, only the best one counts and there's no like foul balls, right? In baseball, you can foul one off or hit a weak ground ball and get an error or something. Yep. The, on the LSAT, you just really need to like do your performance. So there's no difference between any of the uh, tries. And it's funny how often, because it's like clear to me that Abhi um, is like a on board, right? With all of our advice. Yep. And, but still like, and knows the answer, which mm -hmm. I, we're always going to say, like, if you're ready, are you ready to take the November test? If you're not ready, then don't take the November test. Yeah. But if you're ready to take the November test, then if you have to sign up for January before you know your November result, then you should go ahead and also sign up for January because you're ready for November, then you're going to be ready for January. Yeah. Um, that now I have to look at the deadlines, by the way, um, November LSAT scores come out November 30th, January LSAT registration deadline, December 1st. Ah, so Abby, you don't even have to decide. You can wait until you see that score and then sign up. There you go. That said, don't take the November test if you wouldn't happily also take the January test. Because you shouldn't be changing your approach between attempts. And if you're ready, you're ready. Everybody, they they always think like, oh, but but I need to then see my score to see how so that I can decide how long I need to prepare for the next test. But it doesn't make any sense, according to our approach, because our approach is just practice tests. And then treat the official test like a practice test as soon as your practice tests are worthy of doing that. Well, I also don't see a problem <laughs> I mean, it is a it is a cost factor, but signing up and then withdrawing if you have to withdraw because then you don't lose your attempt, but at least you have the option to take it if you need to. Now, that doesn't apply here because the deadline is after he's going right. to get a score. But a lot of times the deadline is not after when you get the score. And so keeping that option available seems more valuable than yeah. trying to make a big decision out of it. Yeah. But for here, for you, Abhi, you can actually wait till your scores come back. Make sure you have your oh, well, you do have your writing sample done because you already got a score. Or a couple scores. Anyway, um, yeah, take the test, wait till scores come out, and then that day decide whether you want to sign up for the next one. That's fine. All right, cool. Well, we have this email here from Darren. Darren says, hello, Ben and Nathan. I'm a big fan of the podcast and the LSAT Demon. I have been listening to the podcast for over four months now and subscribed to the LSAT Demon for over two months, and it's going great. I went from a diagnostic of 145 to an average of 161, 162. I just took the October LSAT and felt confident in every section. And I know I got the games perfect because of your help. Wow. Okay. So this sounds fantastic. Yep. I plan on taking two more LSATs, one in January and another one later on and applying next year with my absolute best score. Mm -hmm. So no rush on an answer. However, my question is more so about my personal statement. You mean more about your personal statement. 
I haven't created one yet, obviously, but I wanted to think about it more before I created one. I'm an amateur MMA fighter, and I've been training for over four years, fighting for over a year and a half. I have had four fights so far, and I have a title fight in November. I'm wondering if my MMA career is something that I should write about or something that law schools would be interested in. I know most times it can be looked at negatively, such as what if he has brain damage or is he going to be competent enough? Well, hopefully your LSAT score will address any of those concerns. <laughs> well, not the brain damage. I mean, yeah, if. Yeah, but I feel that it is something different and interesting, and I wanted to get your take on it. I also am a URM and will be doing a diversity statement when the time comes. So I have that to look at as well. But thank you for your help and feel free to use my name. And that is Darren. Hmm. What do you think about Darren, the MMA fighting LSAT student? Um, sounds serious. Sounds like a big part of his life. So I would at least write it. You know, one thing that caught my attention was Darren said, I want to think about it more before I create one. Just just start writing it. You, mm -hmm. you should be in a position where you can easily knock out three or four paragraphs, start to get a feel of how this sounds, how it comes across. You can easily then share that with other people who care about you. Say, hey, what do you think? They may, they will probably give you positive advice, but some people might be... A little surprised and then you could see how it's received. Yeah, I would challenge you to just sit down and do one page, like sit down and write one full page. Don't stop. Like don't don't um, don't edit it. Don't necessarily even like put punctuation, like just stream of consciousness, consciousness, just write one page of a personal statement. And then hmm. you don't even have to look at it right now. You don't have to just like do it. Maybe the dictation feature on your phone would be a good way to do this. Totally. To get some stuff down on the page. And if you feel yourself saying more and wanting to say more, well, then it's something that's obviously important to you and something in which you might be able to say a lot. And then we glean out the best parts of it, the, the parts that emphasize what really, you know, the, the positive aspects of MMA, as opposed to maybe, I don't know, some of the negative effects that you're yeah. worried about being conveyed. I used to would have said, you know, have two glasses of wine and uh, just write a shitty first draft. Um, but yeah, now I say just go ahead and write a shitty first draft or write whatever. <laughs> just write bullshit. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But stream of consciousness, no punctuation, no stopping, like just full on write the full page and just see just to see what you have. Like maybe tomorrow you can see what we, what you even have. You know, you don't have to do the, the full job right now, but you do have to get something going as far. Uh, congratulations on the LSAT improvement. I mean, you've made 15 points in two months with us. That is amazing. Yep. Get greedy. Don't stop. Shoot for 170 something. It's we see 30 point improvements sometimes. Don't don't yep. stop. Absolutely. Personal statement about MMA. What else do you have? You know, if this is a, a a big enough thing in your life where you'd be, you know, are you proud enough of it that it's like, if this is the only thing they're going to know about you as a person, they're going to know this. Uh, if that's what you want to write about, then then OK, um, I can certainly see the concerns. I mean, you know, it, it could definitely turn off some people for a couple different reasons. I think some people could be like morally offended by it. You know, like they just there's there's blood sometimes and that's that's enough for them. Yep. 
other people could just be like, oh, this dude's going to have CTE someday. And, that you know, and that could be like totally biased and and um, like that could be that could be like completely unfair. But you're. It is something that some people might think. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, I, you know, do you have stories from work or school that are interesting? You know, maybe do a do a similar free write of, you know, a page on that. And then compare the two and decide which one is really going to show you in your best light. MMA clearly is going to have a, a you're going to be able to display, right? You're going to be able to show, not tell all kinds of different attributes that would be um, useful. Ability to just get punched in the nose, <laughs> not care. Keep coming. Yeah. Training the, the work you put in. Yeah. Well, good luck. And as you write it, those ideas about other things you could write about will probably come to you. Because as you're talking, you'll say, oh, and then that reminds me of this. And maybe that will lead to some other topic. Who knows? You won't even believe it. Like from the, sh the shit you write in your first sentence to the, the bottom of the page, it's going to be a completely different world. You're, you're going to go through a whole like metamorphosis just from the just from writing that one page. If you do it right, if you just like let it all go. Cool. Thanks, Darren. And good luck. Let us know what you decide and let us know what score you end up with. Um, hope you get very high. Uh, H is our next email. I think it's, uh, oh, I guess it's me. Um, hey guys, I recently went down a Google rabbit hole and I'm curious to hear your opinions on the subject. It began with YouTube suggesting an old Jordan Peterson lecture. In it, he discusses IQ and claims that the LSAT is just a specialized IQ test. I'd never heard it called an IQ test, so down the rabbit hole I went. Obviously, the opinions are varied. John Hopkins University claims that the LSAT doesn't test for intelligence at all. While Mensa, you know what Mensa is? Is that the is that like a society of IQ people? I guess yeah, it's a, a society of geniuses. <laughs> okay, Mensa admits people with ninety fifth percentile scores. Oh, okay. So we could get into that society, Nathan. How's that make you feel? Um, yeah, we and all of our teachers, um, <laughs> and many people who aren't even qualified to teach for us. Yeah. Right. So, um, cause 95th percentile isn't 170. No, that's like 165 maybe. I mean, you might be able to be a Kaplan teacher and get into Mensa. Hmm. Um, thoughts on the LSAT as an <laughs> IQ test. That's H's question. I mean, <clears throat> given the amount of improvement that people experience with it, to the extent that it tests your IQ, it must not be the only thing that it tests. Because <laughs> people make enormous progress. So unless people are becoming extraordinarily smarter through the process, it's not only testing IQ. Well, what is IQ? I, I mean, I don't I don't know anything about IQ. I've never done, as far as I know, an IQ test or, you know, maybe some stupid little Internet thing. But I no. So my layman's understanding of IQ is um, it's inherent cognitive capacity. So and it can't be testing that because people make astronomical gains. And so that would go against the definition unless you're I do know you can improve your IQ. Supposedly IQ goes up through college. Not a lot, but people do their inherent cognitive capacity increases, which isn't shocking either. That said, it's not 
changing significantly because some of this is biologically determined. So, huh? I don't think it's an IQ test. Wikipedia short. says it's a total score derived from a, st a set of standardized tests or subtests designed to assess human intelligence. Historically, it was a score obtained by dividing a person's mental age score obtained by administering an intelligence test by the person's chronological age, both expressed in terms of years and months. Uh, okay. So it's harder the older you get? Probably. You're expected to know more, do better. I don't know. It's yeah, I, I've never thought about it. I, I don't. Um, I guess it is um, interesting that Mensa admits people with 95 percentile and higher. That's not that hard of a club to get into. No. Interesting. OK. Um, pearls versus turds. Let's do it. This one is from Megan. And she's the subject is U.S. News article. Will you read it? I thought perhaps you guys would be able to discuss the U.S. News article on the podcast. It may be good for pearls versus tur turds. The article contains some OK advice, says Megan, and some that is just awful. Thanks for everything you do. Here's the article. Headline, how to address a low LSAT score in law school applications. Oh, boy. And here's yeah, the subtitle, a low LSAT score is not the end of the road for law school applicants. Here are three things to do. Oh, boy. This just seems like it's inviting people to take on heaps of debt. And <laughs> it's it's a, um, you know, they want your eyeballs. They want you to click on this. They want you to save this. They want you to share it with your friends. They want you to feel good about yourself. And I don't know, they're they're like kind of complicit. Well, they have to U.S. News. What is U.S. News? All they do is rank colleges. Yep. Right. Yep. Anymore. I mean, do they even do like this? This journalism, you know, you could read this as it's basically just encouraging people to apply to law school. Yep. The advice. I mean, yeah. So you, we get to these bullet points, right? Says uh, LSAT scores join grades as one of the two most important factors in law school admissions. Uh if you feel like your LSAT score is holding your back, holding you back, consider these three tips. And then these are going to be the three sections uh, of this article. First one, retake the test. The best way to make up for a low LSAT score is simply retake the test until you can achieve a score that is in line with your practice test results. That almost sounds like they plagiarized it from us. <laughs> um, okay. But but we wouldn't. I mean, where's the prep in that? Right. Like. It's it's true that some people underperform their practice tests on their official test. Yeah. But most people just didn't even do practice tests or they did very few practice tests and then started taking the official test. Or their practice tests are right in line with their low LSAT score and they wonder <laughs> they seem shocked at the score that they get officially. And even though it's in their range of practice yeah, test scores. Yeah, exactly. I just it, this sounds like roll the dice and just hope to get lucky again. Yep. And that's not what we're saying. No, we're we are saying, though, that if you if you underperform your I mean, if you perform at the bottom of your range, then, yeah, taking it again is positive expectation. But you should also be working to improve your range while you wait to take the next test. Yep. Um, this is just like retake, retake, retake. No real penalty for retaking the test. Yeah. How about this? 
It says, moreover, the Law School Admission Council, which administers the LSAT, recently announced that all test takers will be able to view their score before deciding whether to keep or cancel it. They can do this by purchasing an option called Score Preview with a helpful link, I guess, to Score Preview, or maybe it's to another story on US News about Score Preview. <laughs> yeah. Which was formal, formerly available only to first-time test takers. Listen to this, though. It costs as little as $45, but is free if you have an approved LSAT fee waiver. The fact that it's $45 or $5 doesn't matter if it has no value. Can't say something's cheap if it itself is worth nothing. It, it almost sounds like a copy paste from a um, press release from from, from LSAT? LSAT. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it costs as little as forty five. That's like they're you say, <laughs> trying to sell you on it. <laughs> Who is this person? Do they work for LSAT? I don't know. <laughs> Who wrote this article? Gabriel Curis, founder of Top Law Coach. Okay. This looks like placed news. This looks this looks like advertise as advertisement copy. Okay. Um anyway, okay, so retake the test, that's one. Consider an addendum. If your score goes up by more than 10 points, you should write an addendum explaining the score increase. But don't worry, this is a good thing. <laughs> you could write an LSAT addendum to explain underperformance on the test. However, this sort of LSAT addendum will likely be viewed more skeptically. Well, then why the hell are you saying it's a tip? This is supposed to be a tip for people with low LSAT. <laughs> and you're saying, well, an addendum about an increase is good. But if I have an increase, then I don't have a low LSAT. <laughs> so I'm not really the target audience for this article. OK. If there's a specific reason for your underperformance on the LSAT and inability to retake it, write an addendum to explain your situation. What what excuse would that possibly be? I ran out of my five attempts or I'm too impatient to wait and take it again. It has to be one of those two things, because otherwise you would be able to take it again. I mean, it's <laughs> the, the truth is you're rushing into law school. Yep. You know, for example, you might mention factors like unresolved personal hardships, persistent emergencies or a documented history of underperformance on standardized tests. Jeez. Just sounds like an invitation to spill the beans about problems that you have. Doesn't seem like something you'd want to highlight. I don't see how that helps you. Okay, third bullet point in this bad article is emphasize other strengths. <laughs> High grades can help offset a low LSAT score. So get better grades. In the past? Three years ago, yeah. <laughs> As can strong recommendation letters from professors, professional experience, and a well-structured personal statement. And then, oh yeah, and then they're linking to their services and everything. I don't know. This is just sales. This is not a, um, like, this is not yeah. journalism in any yeah. way. Okay, that's a turd. Thank you for sharing. Uh, who sent that in? Megan. Megan, thank you. Scoreboard is now 21 pearls, 68 turds, and 26 ties. All right, this next one is from Anonymous. I'll read it. Hi, I had, a full, I had full intentions of applying on September 1st, but I'm still waiting on a letter of recommendation from an old professor. I asked him to write it, and he agreed in mid-July. I also told him about my application timeline, and he seemed to understand. He wanted to meet on Zoom and talk about my application, which I did, but whenever I follow up with him to ask about my letter, he takes weeks to respond. He also wanted a copy of my personal statement, which I sent, 
But weeks later, he responded by tearing it apart. Uh, okay. I'm... He like sent back edits. He didn't like wow. her personal statement. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's interesting. That's surprising. Okay. Although I appreciate his feedback, I really don't need his personal statement help from him or need personal statement help from him. I need a letter of recommendation. Now he wants to meet on Zoom again, but has yet to reply to me about a time. Okay. Anonymous, sometimes in life we ask people for help and they can't deliver. Uh, you, you need to ask someone else. Yeah. This is this is why you also probably want to ask multiple people for a letter of recommendation. You ask five people, three people respond in a good time, and they, they respond enthusiastically, and you use two of those. <laughs> yeah, and if you're not taking him seriously on the feedback that he gave you about your personal statement, then he might not be like super impressed by you right now. Yeah, he's giving you feedback, unsolicited feedback on how your personal statement was not good. <laughs> and maybe you didn't sufficiently engage with him. He's not jazzed up about your application. You want to want to read the rest of this? Yeah. What on earth do I do? Ask someone else at this point? Reiterate my timeline to him and just keep waiting? My applications are done except for this letter of his letter of recommendation. I realize maybe I shouldn't have waited this long, but I'm really at a loss right now. This is causing me a lot of stress and I'm frankly pretty upset about it. So any advice is appreciated. Hey, it's okay. You're, you are here now. You're trying to figure out what to do. The best thing to do is to keep <laughs> moving the ball forward with this. Say, hey, follow up. What time do you want to meet? How about, and propose times, by the way. A lot of times people mm. will send emails and say, hey, yeah, I want to meet. When do you want to meet? Take the lead. And say, here are four times that I can meet. Make them random and different so that the person can't just block off all of them. And try to get that ball going. At the same time, reach out to other people. The thing about high achievers is that they don't need a week to write a personal statement. They don't need months. They can do it in two days. They'll say, yeah, I'll do it tomorrow night. And they just get it done. So maybe you need to ask more people... <laughs> and find someone who can actually just put pen to paper and be done. Yeah. Some combination of the, I don't know what, I don't know if something happened or if this is just not a great recommender to begin with. Um, but I think you should be looking somewhere else to somebody who's going to actually do it for you. Um, yeah. And yeah, if you want to follow up, I mean, that, that is so one zoom meeting, then now another zoom meeting, it just seems like, um, I don't know. They they want you to put more into this relationship than you're willing to put in because you want your application done. Also, yeah, when you reach out to this person and other people, do as much of the work for them as you can, right? Anticipate the questions that they're likely to have. Say, hey, I'm applying to law school. <laughs> I need a letter of recommendation soon. I'm sorry for the late notice. Uh, I've attached my personal statement if that's helpful. <laughs> Like, just make it easy for the other person. Maybe attach bullet points of things you think would be useful to talk about or offer to do that. Just take the lead and make it easy for people to help you. Writing a letter, I mean, it is kind of a pain in the ass uh, if you're going to do a good job. Yep. So sounds like you did everything right, asking this guy in advance and everything and telling him the timeline and everything, but he just, he doesn't give a shit. <laughs> He, yep. He's not, I don't know. Yeah. Cool. Next. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. Uh, here we have an email from 
Nafosat? How would you yeah. say that? Yeah, Nafosat, Nafosat, I don't know. Dear Ben and Nathan, I hope my email finds you well. I have started to listen to your podcasts and watch you give recommendations to LSAT takers. I would be grateful if you give your advice on my situation. As a brief introduction, I am Nafosat, 26 years old, from Tashkent, Uzbekistan. I have a bachelor's degree in law in Uzbekistan, yet I am very into international dispute resolution and arbitration. In order to practice it, I plan to relocate to the USA and pursue AJD. I have started to get prepared for the LSAT with Khan Academy, and I should apply in the next cycle as an early applicant in order to get a good amount of scholarships. I resigned from my previous job as a legal consultant to get prepared for the LSAT, yet I got a job offer from another law firm. Yet, I am hesitant whether I should take this job as I plan to take the April LSAT. What would you recommend in my situation? There are several logistics I need to consider. Bullet points now. Age. If I apply next cycle and get accepted, hopefully I will be 28 years old by the time I start law school. I'm an international applicant, thus scholarship amount plays an important role, which is in turn dependent on a high LSAT score. Third bullet point, although I have a good command of English, English is not my native language, and I see unknown to me words on practice tests right now. And we can tell from uh, your writing as well, Nafaset, that you're just not a native uh, English speaker. It's, it's, um, it's all just in the tiny little like prepositions and stuff, right, Ben? Yeah. I mean, I've been correcting them all as I've been reading through them, but it's like yeah. almost every sentence. There's just yep. sort of a like, you know, you started the, your first bullet point started with age. You put the age, the age. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's just not it's it's, it's immediately uh, apparent. So um, which nothing wrong with that. Just it's good to be aware of that. Yep. Yep. OK, so considering the above factors, would you recommend me to turn down the job offer and focus solely on the LSAT? The job at law firms here in Uzbekistan is quite similar to the job at law firms in the USA. Should I give my best shot at April at the April LSAT solely focusing on the test or should I take this job offer? I'm afraid if I take this job offer, the maximum amount of time I can practice, the LSAT will be only two hours in a day. Is that enough to get the score to, to score more than 172 to 174 on the April LSAT? For me, time is important. On the other hand, I'm afraid if I don't get above 172 to 174 on the test, I will lose two years of my life since I will have to get prepared for the test again in order to get a full ride and I will not have a job. Of course, I can register for the June LSAT as a precaution. What would you recommend in my situation with regards from Tashkent, Nafosat? So Nafosat, I'm, I'm glad you're looking forward to getting a scholarship and doing everything you can to get your best LSAT score. But I don't think you should be studying more than two or three hours a day anyway. So get a job, <laughs> take the job. It sounds like it's a better job if they're giving you a job offer. So take the job, study one to two hours a day, six, seven days a week, and keep working on your score. It's October right now. You have until April. I wouldn't be surprised if you maybe, you know, got there sooner. But even if you don't get there by April because you're a non-native speaker and you just need more time to master the English language, don't worry about the fact that you're going to be 28 or 29 or 30 when you start law school. 
It's it crazy. Does not matter. You yeah, have a job. It, you can keep going. You can make the best of your career once you get this LSAT score. It's crazy from the perspective of um, being forty-eight. It's it's insane to look back at people that are twenty-eight. Wait, am I? What did I say? Forty-eight. I'm forty-six. Yeah. Um, <laughs> looking back at people that are twenty-eight and like yeah. so so worried about one year of loss. One year, like yeah. You know, you're either going to get your JD when you're 32, 30 to 32 or 33, as if that makes any difference in your like the total, the total scope of your life. It just makes no difference whatsoever. But what is going to make a difference is what score you get, how much debt you can avoid and what school you end up at. Yeah, that is going to make a huge difference. The year at the end of your diploma isn't. Yeah. And Maybe you get there in time to apply this next cycle. Maybe you don't. But worrying about what cycle you're applying in is like totally the wrong thing. You're going to have a lifetime of legal practice. You know, it's it, it all comes back to relativity, Ben. People in their 20s, they just don't have the perspective of their 30s and their 40s. I just mean that in, in literal terms, like they don't have the the years to put one year into to start putting one year into context, right? Especially sure. because we're not considered, you know, to be adults until we're 18 or whatever the number is in various places. And so when you're 28, you know, 10 years is your entire adult life. Yeah. And so then one year seems like a lot more. Yeah. But when you look back on it, you'll realize that you were just in such a hurry for really no reason at all. And instead, you could have just been a little more thoughtful and a little bit more strategic about the way you were doing this. Study one or two hours a day, have a job, keep studying hard. We don't have it. I mean, we don't have a starting score here, Ben. So we really have no idea how how far Nafasat has to go. We don't. But with really high goals, I mean, it could take months or in some cases years. And uh, I think you're doing everything right. You just need to be a little more patient. And getting the job gives you that time to study, right? If you actually lose the job so that you can study more intensely, you're now forcing yourself onto a timeline. And that's, that's not going to be good. Yeah, not, not going to be good for, for your LSAT. But anyway, if you're, if you're not looking until next cycle, you've got some time to prep. So what were the two dates that we were talking about? April? What are you talking well, about? Yeah, taking April and then said something about also signing up for another LSAT, I thought. Well, oh, June. Yeah, it's too it's too far ahead to plan. Yeah, like, why are just, you looking at the April LSAT? Just just start taking practice tests every week. Improve your understanding of the test a little bit every week. And once you start getting high practice test scores, then take it. If that's in January, great. If that's in June, Great. If that's in November of next year, great. Take it. Yeah, whenever it is. I, I, I don't like that idea of being anchored on, well, that's the one and then there's one possible retake. No, do practice tests for now and then start looking at the deadlines when your practice tests are in the 170s. Start looking at the registration deadlines when your practice tests are in the 170s. Yep. If that's your goal. There you go. Thanks for writing in. Be LSAT famous. Get on an upcoming show by emailing help at thinkinglsat.com. 
If you have questions about the LSAT Demon, email our help team. They're at help at LSATdemon.com. You can also check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. Uh, that was episode 373 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.